Are we live? Yeah. Testing, testing. Hello, boxing fans around the world. Welcome to another episode of The Scoop featuring the champ, Bola Bray. Welcome to Talk and Fight. And we've got a special guest lined up for you tonight. Yet another special guest this week to end up our uh, week of special guests. Yeah. Uh, and Bola, you've got a, a good friend of yours, Buzz Grant, lined up in the green room who's ready to chit-chat the night away with you. Yeah, so. yeah. There's uh, this little spark plug. Um, <laughs> he was, as, a, he, as opposed to a cricket? As a, well, actually, he's a, a, a cricket on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this angry blade of grass. Um he was, uh, I remember Buzz from the amateurs, actually. Um, he was just one big energy bubble, just nothing but punches, constant, um, always in great shape. But then he did the absolutely incredible, as he turned pro, that is, and uh, he not just won the Canadian title, but he won the Canadian title. At 122. Um, yeah, what makes that incredible is Buzz can walk around. It as, I've seen him as heavy as 160 pounds. Um, how he's able to cleave a quarter of his body, that story still tickles me because as being <laughs> a heavyweight, this is all insanity for me. Um, <laughs> but with that being said, um, my name is Bola Raymond Olubwali, and this is the scoop. Like I hope it goes well, Mr. Buzz Grant. What's going on, Red? There you go. There you go. How you doing? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Man, uh, I'm living the dream. Uh, I'm living the dream, honestly. Yeah, even with this uh, COVID stupidity going on, I'm actually still got my hands uh, entwined in boxing, so um, I, I can't really complain. Yeah, how you keeping? I'm good. Luckily, I've been working during all this. I've been good. Yeah, yeah. You're you're, you're fortunate. You're fortunate. Mm -hmm. um, what have What have you been doing? How have you been keeping yourself busy? And more importantly, what does boxing or life after boxing look for you? at least as an athlete? Um, well, um, when I was in the amateurs, I had these crazy dreams of turning pro, becoming a millionaire like every person I saw. <laughs> and then when I turned pro and started seeing my paychecks and realizing mm -hmm. I don't even make minimum wage, <laughs> <laughs> um, I realized I had to get a career. Yeah. So when I first signed my contract for my Canadian title fight, I thought I was sort of, you know, at the peak of what I was hoping to accomplish. I realized I can't live on this money. So I sent myself back to school, um, did a little more education. And two months after I won the title, I started at Bombardier driving the GO trains in Toronto. And I've been doing that now 14 years, which turned out really well for me. Um, obviously, my boxing career didn't do as well as I was hoping after winning the title because I dedicated a bit too much to the career um, versus the boxing career. 
Um, but yeah, it drives the go trains. Love it. Great job. That's that's an understatement. I still remember working at when we were training at Coutures, Extreme Coutures. Yeah. And you, I just thought that you had the perfect perfect scenario. You got up, you start work at six a.m. You drove the train till ten, then you had a four-hour break. Yeah, until two. <laughs> and you train. <laughs> yeah. Then you go back and finish your shift. And then after work, I go for a run. Then I go to bed, sleep, and then do the same thing the next day. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you had the perfect scenario. Like... Except no other life. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs another life? Ah. Ah. <laughs> yeah. But it actually worked out well for me, um, working split shifts um really well to continue my career um it, it's the best of the worst scenario you know yeah mm -hmm. yeah how did you get into boxing mackie brian are you kidding me well brian and i grew up together um from orangeville i always looked up to him always wanted to box but the problem was the closest boxing gym was in brampton yeah so my parents like, absolutely not driving you to Brampton, sitting around for three hours while you work out and then driving you home. Just not not a thing they were willing to do. So three days after I bought my first car, I drove down to the Bramley Boxing Club and joined boxing. Wow. Yeah. Why didn't you join why didn't you join at uh, Jamestown? Um, to be honest, because I'm cheap and it was cheaper. <laughs> Fair enough. Um uh, and at the time, actually, Jamestown had shut down, and they were actually training out of Bramley. Oh, really? Yeah. For, there was about six or eight months there where Jamestown shut down, and they were using Bramley to train out of. Um, so they were in the process of closing when I first joined. So they are about six or eight months from actually closing, but Mackie told me, don't join, we're closing, et cetera, et cetera. So I joined Bramley. Then about six months later, all the Jamestown guys came to Bramley for about six, eight months. And then when they got a new club, I decided to stay because I was comfortable with Pete and everyone else. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. So, so this is before they moved to uh, Champion. Did they work out of Champion for a bit? That's, when I was uh, the whole time I was with Dwight, we were out of Champion. Okay, they were all over the place. Yeah, actually, there was also uh, when they were beside Latin Quarter. That's when I we used to spar with Mackie. Was when they were beside Latin Quarter. Okay, so I, I accidentally I walked in that day, one day, um, into Latin Quarter, and I saw Dwight, and uh, <laughs> like, oh, okay, and then he was started trying to recruit me, and I think it took another like three four months. Um, he saw me at a couple of tournaments. And I, I was at the provincial, yeah. I went to the provincials, the opens, and I stopped his guy, Kevin Anderson, in the second round, first round, second round. I knocked him out, knocked him onto the computer table, and uh, Dwight then really pushed hard for me to come and start training with him, and the rest was history. The most I remember about you ever in amateur was fucking eating before weigh-ins. <laughs> I nuts. 
because I was starving forever. And you're sitting there just eating like a sandwich or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that guy. Oh, <laughs> uh, you drive me up the wall. I'm like, I haven't eaten a good meal in like months. <laughs> I, you know, before wins. <laughs> Like the one memory I have of you and amateurs. Oh, yeah, I used to do that all the time. And oh, uh, slack out here. Oh uh, my God, Val Ryan wanted to stab me in my throat. Yeah. <laughs> First time I ever had to take my underwear off was in front of Val. Oh, no way. Yeah, and I got up on, and I was like 0. 0.2 over or something stupid. So I step off and just drop my pants and I'm like, whoa, 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 you want a towel? I'm like, nah, whatever. Step back up, and she's like standing there, like, oh. <laughs> my god, I'm not shy. <laughs> oh. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh. I, I, uh, in my opening monologue, I, I spoke about your fight with um, Jason Hayward. Yes. And the preparation for that, which I still, to this day, I tell people always anyone who would listen about this mad nut that dropped down to 122 and how you did it. How much were you walking around at? 155, 160. That's what I thought. Like, yes. Jesus. Oh. So I was fought at 126. So my coach and I are like, eh, what's another four pounds? No problem. Yeah. What's another four it pounds? Problem. It mm -hmm. was a problem. So a week before that fight, I was dating a girl who lived in Acton at the time. I lived in Brampton. I rode my bicycle to Acton, which took me almost two hours. Hung out with her for an hour and then rode my bike back. And I step on the scale and I lost a pound and a half. And I'm still six pounds out. Wow. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it. Like, I, I just don't think I'm going to make it. I sat in the shower and like almost had a breakdown of i don't think i can make 122 like it's just almost virtually impossible so for the last week everything i ate i brought back up to make weight it was the only way i could make weight wow i literally was puking up my like i i was anorexic that week wow yeah that's that's dedication to your craft i don't have that <sighs> I can't miss a meal. <laughs> I can't. Oh my God. Yeah, when you when you fight at super bantamweight, you miss a lot of meals. <laughs> <laughs> wow, no, that just it just would not happen. Oh, wow. Okay. And actually, you won the Canadian title. What a week after me? I won it October thirteenth, two thousand seven. 13th it was so then that's like i was you're one month after me yeah I, I was gonna say i felt like it was a little longer i think it was about a month yeah no yeah. problem no the problem moment ontario was doing well we were ontario was doing well we were we we've done really well throughout the years we really have yeah we're uh we're about to do even better we're coming back. There's going to be a big insurgence. There's a lot of great talent out there. And you wanting to be a coach is 
amazing um because you do have you have the you have the desire and you have the ring experience which is what a lot of these coaches don't have it's true they don't have it they've never been there they've never been hit and they don't know they don't have the psychology um <laughs> i couldn't teach well like i could i could tell stories about my friend buzz grant going off and and and, and puking up shit for a week to make weight, but I can't, I, I, I can't t teach you how to drop weight, run. And when you, when you, that doesn't work, continue running, running in a sauna. Yeah. That's heavyweights. That's what we do. Right. But that's it. Now you got a lot of nutrition involved. A lot of nutrition involved. A lot. Yeah. But picking out silly stuff like salt is sodium. Sodium retains water. Water is weight. Like just like like there's so many like little things and little tricks. Like instead of eating three times a day, eat five little meals a day because the metabolism runs all day long and you'll actually burn more. Really? Yeah, because your metabolism you you trick your metabolism into thinking you're overeating because you're eating all the time. But meanwhile, you're really not eating much. And like carbohydrates, the only thing your body can consume right your body actually takes a lot of effort and stuff to get rid of protein yeah. so you need your carbs for energy but you eat all your carbs in the morning so you have all day to burn them off you yeah. eat more, like throughout the day you slowly get into only protein at the night like so there's like a whole science and trick to it right of making weight which Again. heavyweights don't know no we don't and you know oh. no. Sandwich at nine o'clock at night's okay to you. <laughs> oh, at nationals, I walked onto the scale with a sandwich in my hand. I've so, walked do it. Yeah. I cursed your name many times. <laughs> I remember in uh, Regina in 2004, yeah. standing in line eating a sandwich. And I wish I knew because <laughs> if I did, I would have got a doll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I wonder how why is it I didn't make many friends with the officials. Uh, I, I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> That's awesome. So this venture, you're gonna open a gym. You're gonna bring boxing back to Orangeville. That's my plan. So That's amazing. I'm moving back to Orangeville. Um I had a loss as you know a couple yeah. years ago. And um condolences. Selling the house, moving back to my hometown. It's kind of where my, you know, all my core boys and my friends are. And uh, now that we don't have a gym there, I'm thinking it's what we need. We got a uh, bunch of farm boys that want to scrap. So going back to Orangeville, and I'd really like to open a gym once COVID's over. And, uh, yeah, I want to get back into coaching. I miss it. I really do. That's good for you. Good for you. Thanks. We um we desperately need so many. Well, we need we need new blood in the in the sport, um in the in the coaching component, but more importantly, we need competent blood. Yeah. Because there's way too many enthusiasts who go off and think they can do. Well, as long as the impossible. I mean, as we see, there's a lot of what we'll call them. Uh, boxer-sized coaches turning Precisely. into 
competition. Precisely. Um, you know, guys that have taken a few classes themselves, never really been in the sport. Never won a title. Yeah. Heck, a lot of guys never even fought. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. They're making um, the, this is this is something that actually irks me a great deal because, um, not, not gonna mention any names, but you have certain clubs who go off and start teaching or hosting um, what we call corporate corporate shows, corporate tournaments, right, with corporate people boxing. Right. That don't know a damn thing about boxing. So what happens there is you're going to have these people with disposable income who could help the sport grow, but instead being ill-trained, compete, get hurt, may sue, but most importantly, have a bad taste about the sport and never come back. Never invest in the game. Never like I, I just see it. It's almost it's almost selfish, and something has to be done. Well, and what I want to get away from is you see a lot of gyms now where they push on signing up for privates, right? Yeah. And if if you don't have the money, you're not getting any attention. Precisely. Coach, like when I joined Bram Lee, if you went every day and you tried, Pete paid attention to you and spent time with you. It had no how much money was in your wallet, how much you wanted to actually learn and fight. Where now it's, if you're broke and you got no money, guess what? No one's going to spend any attention to you. Where I'm going back to, I want old bags with duct tape on them. I want like, you know, like that rundown gym look. I don't want privates. I want, if you show up and want to fight, I'm going to teach you how to fight. That's what I want for you now you're, you're that's going to take subsidy these guys these boxing clubs as you know like name a boxing club that you think is wealthy or doing well well a good one or just name one name one that is doing well that like i don't know any um there's very few full-time gyms still in the province. It's like a corporate, like, a, you know, like um, like an extreme couture that's like a fighting gym, but it's like a corporate, right? Like Yes, exactly. Um, something along that line that makes money, but it's not necessarily a fighting gym. It's not a fighting gym. No. No. Um, um, the reason why I'm asking is because at the end of the day, you're going to be looking at I'm thinking again for the progression of the sport. Right. And you you hit the nail on the head. You are with your endeavor to go off and, and imitate Mr. Sherman. Um wow. He was one of a kind. He absolutely he, he did well outside of the outside of the gym. Hence why he was able to donate. And literally that's what he did was donate his time. Yeah. to whoever came in. Um, the legendary Hank Boone was my yep. coach. 
he was he was another one. It cost you 20 bucks a month. And he'd do private. He didn't care about the money. He made more than enough as a millwright. He came in and he just dedicated his time. And hence why he is arguably the most winningest coach in Canadian history. Yeah. Most people don't. Most people don't know that Hank Boone had four guys on the national team at one time. Never has there ever been a coach like that. He he coached the Pegadans. Yeah. So. Um, he loved the sport and he cared. That's what it was. Precisely. Precisely. Right? It wasn't to make money and pad his pockets. Precisely. And then you are you're going to do very well. I. I'm really excited to hear to see exactly what what the future holds for you because at the end of the day you're going to do very well with that mentality and forget about everything you know and what you've experienced and whatnot but just the mentality you'll do very well you'll have an army of farmer boys yeah, oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I I do well outside of boxing and stuff financially so it's not like I'm opening a gym because I need it to pay my mortgage or That's pay. It. Um, I really just wanted to break even. I wanted to cover my rent. Um, and if I get a little tiny place, you know, and I don't need much, it's not going to be much for rent anyway. So the membership, I'm going to try to keep as low as I can to wow. most people in there. I just want to break even every month. I don't want to cost anything out of my pocket other than my time. And I'm going to give all my time to these kids and adults and whoever wants to join I just want to cover the rent and the hydro and whatever. Good for you. Are you going to bring in other coaches? I don't I don't think so. Um, At least not off the hop. Definitely not off the hop. Um, we'll see how it goes. But here's my thing. I want to be kind of like what I had growing up was Pete and other coaches were all volunteer. So I'm not going to hire someone to be coaching at the gym. You want to come and help out and like volunteer and whatever, all the power to you. But I want you to be there because of the love of the sport, not because I'm putting money in your pocket. Good for you. Yeah. That's Good what for you. And, and, you know, and we'll still run our other programs, like, you know, the lady box fits and the whatever sure. else. Sure, sure. Because um, that helps, you know, cover the cost of the rent and stuff. But I don't want privates. I don't. I'm not. Yeah, I just I, I personally think privates are a waste of money. There, people usually pay for privates is to have like a psychiatrist that they can tell you all their problems to versus really working out. <laughs> I mean, I was a personal trainer for years, and I know <laughs> bunch bunch of people that are just sort of, you know, telling you about their day and whatever else they just want someone to talk to. Yeah, you feel like a bartender. <laughs> you feel like a therapist. You feel like a shrink. Right. <laughs> Oh, good, good on you. Um, I brought you on this today because I wanted to celebrate you as um, a former Canadian champion and your contribution to boxing history. Bottom line, especially not just in Ontario, I think Canada-wide. Um, you had an illustrious pro professional career, let alone your amateur career. And I wanted to make sure that you, well, I want to do my part to ensure via this platform to ensure that your name still is in the conversation 
in conversations when it comes to boxing and, and uh, who propelled the sport forward. Um, we, we went through a whole lot of crap. We went through the Ken Hayashi era. Oh, <laughs> so I watch shows now and I'm like, for instance, like last weekend, the three lions show, right? Yeah. And you got three first round knockouts. Oh. It's like, man, that would have been fun back in the day. Like, <laughs> can I ask you like, you know, my third fight, he's like, no, the guy three and one is not good enough. You need a better guy. It's like, what? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yes. He was sober overmatching us. Your, your first pro fight on my <laughs> undercard. Yes. That was my third pro fight. Like I was like 11 and three or something. 13 and five. He had 18 <laughs> fights. Yeah. And this is who he justified me fighting. Yeah. No, it was brutal back in the day when we were there. And there was two or three shows a year. That's the other one I was trying to explain to people. People don't understand. Like, like you literally had to take a fight in someone else's hometown being Precisely. the dog just to fight. Because... All be all because of him. Stell Promotions will put on two shows a year, and there might be someone else putting one more on. <laughs> um, so difficult. He he. We we got we got huge in two thousand seven with um, uh, Orion Orion Sports. Right. When they were, when they got the casino and they they're putting on what three shows a year with uh, Steve Molitor. Right, but to get on that show was almost impossible. Precisely. Right. Precisely. Yeah. No, it was. Wow. What changes? What? 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 How would you like to see the sport change upon your return? Now we're talking amateur or pro. Let's go with the amateurs. Okay, so. I to I'll, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I haven't been really in the amateur scene in a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know how politicized it is now. I hear rumors about you know national team. You win national team, and now you got to go live in Montreal. Yeah, um, you know things like that. So obviously that is just ridiculous. So if I created an amateur champion in Orangeville, Ontario, that kid or adult or young adult, whatever, should not have to be moved to Montreal. The man or woman... On their dime. Yeah, on their dime. That's just ridiculous to even think. For one, we both know. We feel comfortable with our coach. We feel comfortable with our training. We want that. That's how we got to that point. Why would you now change something? You don't want to change what I've learned and how I've learned it just because they got the national team, because the money's in Montreal. That is absolutely ridiculous. If that's all true, I would like to somehow force that to be changed. Um, um, the whole country outside of Quebec is attempting to make that change. It, and yet nothing's happening. But if we all rally together, it can happen. Yeah, I, I, I say we just cleave Quebec away. Yeah. Didn't they want to separate? <laughs> I, I, I heard something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that in the 90s they wanted to separate? Yeah, I, I, I heard something like that. 
Yeah, so um, the, the main thing I want to do is just get a bunch of fighters fighting all the time, not picking fights either. Like, when I was an amateur, like, you fought every chance you got. It's exactly. Like, like, we're now, it's like you have coaches, no picking and choosing who they fight because they want, nope. like, I don't want that. You know, all of my kids is fighting anyone they can. At the end of the day, the amateurs, there's no record. It doesn't, it doesn't affect you. It doesn't stay with you. You can, you can have 100 losses does and not. still go on to win a nationals. It doesn't affect you. Right. Nothing. The pros is a different game. You, your record means something. Of course. So why not fight? I remember Pete having to pay people, usually from the U.S. or whatever, to come and fight me when Mackie would have shows at Big Time in Orangeville. Yeah. yeah. No one would risk coming to fight me. It's like, listen, man, in two months you're going to have to meet me at Nationals or Amateur and like in, the, in the Ontarios or whatever anyway. But I remember back then, remember you show up at the tournaments and it's weigh-in, whatever you weighed in at, that's what division that's you're good. in? Yep. Now you have to like apply for a certain division. So now guys can apply meaning like you, you register. So you register as like a lightweight or you okay. register whatever. Right. So now I can look at the list and figure out, okay, well, I don't want to fight these guys. So I'll go up or down on weight. Oh dear God. So that started in about 2000. That was the last year of my amateur. So Oh four. So in Oh four, Literally, I would register in a weight class either below or above I was going to fight in because I knew guys would hop around and avoid me. And then, like, the wow. day I'd move to my weight class. So guys would literally be dodging you. And I, would, I kept getting walkovers everywhere. So then I just started doing, okay, so I'd go lightweight, even though I knew I was going featherweight. And then I'd wait till, like, the night before and go featherweight, mm -hmm. where it's got, like, eight guys in the weight class. And you are allowed to, like, jump ship? You can change it. Yeah, but you have, like, up until a certain hour or whatever, right? But, like, back in the day, you just showed up whatever weight you weighed. Exactly. That's what you – in 2004, they changed that. Now, I don't know if it's still like that, but I believe it is. So add that to the list of things that you want changed. Yeah. Just One, you just show up and you fight. Exactly. You don't know who's registered, who's what – because they literally have you registered – and they'll do the draws. You know who you're fighting before you even show up. You just have to make weight when you show up to fight. Oh, wow. Yeah, ours, things are different. From, I, you, I did not know that. Ours was you weighed in, and then, like, you had no clue. Like, an hour later, all the coaches sat in a room and watched people pull stuff out of a hat and find out who you're fighting. It's not like that anymore. Yeah. yeah um, add that to the list. Add that to the list. You got <laughs> You're gonna have your hands full, my friend. Ah, once I got on the uh, the Ontario board, no problem. <laughs> good on you. Good on you. <laughs> All right, Buzz. Um, I want to thank you for coming out and uh, having a chat. It was great seeing you, first and foremost. Um, I'm wishing you all the best with this uh, with this endeavor with uh, life after boxing as an athlete. You uh, you still training? I'm still training. I'm still fighting. I'm, that's what I was trying to say. I want you to come back and have a fight. 
I, I was just about to fight when the lockdown happened. So I can't for one reason. My dad and I, my dad's like my best friend. He was my best man at my wedding. He's like my boy. And when I first turned pro, we were talking about, and I won't say who, somebody that we thought was kind of at the end of their career and shouldn't still be fighting. Okay. My dad looked at me and he said, you know there's going to be a time where you're still going to want to fight. Yep. And he goes, and you're going to have to listen to me. So my dad has always been by my side, never giving me advice on anything, never like never spoken a word about what to do, how to do it, who to fight, anything. But he goes, there's going to be a time where I tell you it's done and you have to listen to me. It's over. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. Thinking there's no way that's ever happening. And after my last fight, I'm walking back to the change room and he goes, how'd you feel? And I'm like, I felt old in there. He goes, you know what I'm going to say to you, right? I'm like, yeah, dad, tonight's the last night. He goes, yep, tonight's the last night, son. Whoa. So because of that, I'll never fight again. But now I can coach. I still train. I still spar. I still okay. the sport. But because of that, I'll never fight again. No, and you know what? I can appreciate that. I, I, yeah. I can genuinely respect that. Um, I, too, have said my, my barometer to quit is when I no longer, when I'm up against guys who are athletically better than me. If you're athletically better than me, like I can't, you're too fast, you're too strong, then I'm, I have no business of being in the sport anymore. And I have yet to see that. Um, if I'm getting hurt, then yeah, it's time to pack it in. I'm not, I'm not there yet. So, um, and I'm still waiting for my million dollar payday. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, I'm I beat still waiting I, for my hundred thousand, let alone a million. <laughs> <laughs> my grocery bill is just a little bigger than yours. So, yeah. So true. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, with that, I'm going to wish you would do. Thank you again for coming on. Please come again. Thank you and, for having uh, me anytime, Ray. I would love it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Once I open the gym, I'll be requesting to come back on. Please do. We'll do. Buddy. Keep in touch. Good seeing you. Take nice. care. Well, take care. And with that, I would like to <laughs> I would like to <laughs> wish everybody and I do. That's my show. And if you like this show, please hit the like button and subscribe. And don't forget the notification bell. It's your boy, Bala.